Welcome to System Mastery, the podcast where we beat a dead horse 1d6 damage at a time. This week we delve into a world of anachronisms, where prehistoric monsters roam the land of a post-apocalyptic future, and mankind is forced to use whatever means it can to survive. Mostly car-based means. It's Cadillacs and Dinosaurs on this week's System Mastery. It's time for more System Mastery. Are you, are you sure? I mean, I'm recording this, so is yeah, it, probably. Is it, is it too late for me to just back out of this? <laughs> Listeners, Jeff is in the hospital and is not going to be recording for this uh, episode. So instead, we have our very special... Fan beloved guest Claire with us. Am I fan beloved, fan tolerated? I mean, somebody has to hate me. I'm almost positive someone hates you. You are a female, after all. And I do not talk a woman. About You're games. a female. I have to prove that I even know about role playing games. Yeah. Tell me which table is on page twenty seven of Risk First Edition or get out. You're fake RPG girl. That's I know. All these ladies pretending to like RPGs so that us stinky RPG boys will like them. I know. It, re- it took me years. I had to strategize to get in with the RPG boys. I actually really wish that my teenage sisters would get into RPGs because I feel that, you know, it, it, Warhammer would be better in terms of like eating up disposable income that they would otherwise spend on drugs. But RPGs are are close. Yeah, I mean, as long as you get heavy into it. Because if you're just like, all I do is I bought some dice and I play whatever game the DM currently has. Yeah, I just downloaded um, the D&D Next free start guide. I'm really into RPGs. I'm so into RPGs, you guys. Yeah, I didn't even know that that's a thing, that apparently there are a lot of people who've like just kind of gotten into role-playing games because of like listening to Critical Role, and so now they're kind of experimenting with D&D, and now they're all getting called fake gamers. Yeah. You're not a real gamer. Yeah. Yeah, the RPG gate is very stupid. You never had to calculate the square root of how much damage you were going to take to your head versus your left arm. Get out. You, if you can't tell me what Thacko means, you can't play with us. You can't sit at our table. Okay, this is a serious question. As you and I have argued, I believe I believe we're on separate sides of the gif-jif divide. Yes, we is are. Is there a Thacko-Thacko argument as well? Because I've always said Thacko. That's weird, because it's Thacko. Okay. Listeners, I'm going to open up to you. Come to the Discord. Put your vote in. Is it a long A or a short A? Or something different? Maybe you have a completely bizarre, out-of-left-field pronunciation that I would love to hear about. I mean, someone out there is probably like, oh, yeah, it's Tahako. True thug. Oh, my God. Well, starting my new podcast, Tahako Tuesdays. So... I mean, at this point, I could introduce myself, but seriously, whatever. If you if you're still listening, it's because you've listened to this podcast. Before. Actually, I'm this John. podcast is really good. If you can't tell John and Jeff apart, um, Jeff is the one who's in the hospital right now, and John is the one who's on the mic. That's right. 
look, I mean, Jeff had to take time off when his kid was born. He's taking time off now for the hospital. What a slacker. Yeah, I never take time off. I am always true. here and I am always there for the listener. Yeah, all I have to do is threaten you. Like if you're a little under the weather, I go, it's okay, John. I'll fill in for you. And you're like, nope, I'm fine. I'm good. Just, you know, oh, God, no. Not another Claire episode. <laughs> Anything but that. Anything but that treacherous bisexual. <laughs> uh, so Cadillacs and Dinosaurs yeah. is our RPG this time around. And uh, thank you so much for filling in, by the way. You're quite welcome. Uh, you know, it's... This isn't one of those RPGs where I'm like, oh, I could get like people know this and I could just get someone to come in and be like, yeah, just talk about this. Also, it's not exactly one of those reads that like is a delight. Right. And and like it's not a delight in a sense that it would be a good game, but it's also not even like delightfully bad. It's in that uncomfortable in between territory. I refer to this as the Jonah Hex territory. Jonah Hex to me is a classic film that is not good. It is in fact fairly bad, but it's not bad enough to be enjoyable for its badness the way that something like Drive Angry would be. It's just in this really uncomfortable badness valley. And I would put this game there. That's my spoiler-free review of Cadillacs and Dinosaurs. Good. It's in the <laughs> uncanny bad valley. Yes. Uh, oh, my God. It's no even... made. That's all I'll say. Oh, yeah. <laughs> made was a delight to read. Yeah. I feel bad bringing you into something like this because the last times we've brought you in for shows, we've at least given you something interesting, whereas this is, I'm going to say, the opposite of that. <laughs> well, um, it's very 1990. Yeah, I, good Lord, this book came out in 1990, and for anyone who is not familiar with the Cadillacs and Dinosaurs uh, entire, like, comic and cartoon. Yeah, no, this is like a multi-channel IP. It's been a Saturday morning cartoon. It was originally comics. The comics have had multiple runs, like Dark Horse resurrected it at one point. Oh, yeah. There's merchandising. And I'm going to say that the runaway success of this IP is based entirely on the name Cadillacs and Dinosaurs. Cadillacs and Dinosaurs has neither Cadillacs nor Dinosaurs (laughs) discuss. It is, God, uh, like, that's the most disappointing thing about the RPG of this. Because for a comic or a TV show, you can be like, okay, we follow around this dude in his Cadillac and in the background a dinosaur but for the rpg they're like oh but in in the property that we're making this from only one dude has a cadillac so obviously you can't no i got so hyped when i heard the name of the game because um you know we always say that like rifts is the amazing game where you can play a wizard and a jet fighter shooting at a t-rex and i'm like sweet do i get to ride a cadillac like with a flock of raptors behind me driving through the junk and john's like no no that's no. not this game literally there are like 12 cadillacs in the world and they're all owned by this hero just one dude dick bag so yeah yeah so the background for this is it was a comic book that was sort of an indie comic book, then picked up by Marvel, and then it got turned into a whole bunch of nonsense. 
but the background story in Cadillacs and Dinosaurs is... Tell us about the world building, John. Let me tell you about the world of Cadillacs and Dinosaurs, because it is more complicated than it needs to be to get to the point where you bring Cadillacs and dinosaurs together at last. Well, yeah, any post-apocalyptic game is going to have to have some torturous explanation for how the apocalypse happened and then how things started to rebuild afterwards. And this is pretty tortured because not only is there like a climate change crisis, but there's also a geological crisis, which I feel like the book is kind of implying are related yeah it's so weird because it's like oh we fucked up the climate real bad and we're real dumb also earthquake tectonic nonsense i'm like that's not a okay well you know what sure fine (laughs) that's i mean we could we can go ahead and just say that we fucked up the environment and then also while that's happening the big ones hit but coincidence coincidentally it's just it just sucks to be a human right now uh well, but, we had a good run yeah well i wouldn't say that <laughs> <laughs> we had a weird run we had a speed run mm. <laughs> we clipped through the wall <laughs> and ended real quick got some great footage you know of the uh, territory you're not supposed to see for a while oh yeah we got we got into the dev territory for a while <laughs> and uh and now we're done but the the whole background is, yeah, there was climate change nonsense and ridiculous natural disasters. And the only reason that we get dinosaurs after this, because mankind goes into, like, oh, fuck bunkers in the Earth's crust. <laughs> yep. Fuck bunkers is my upcoming album. <laughs> Welcome to fuck bunkers. Can I take your order? <laughs> Ah, uh, so they, humanity goes into hiding in these bunkers for 450 years before yeah. everything falls apart mechanically. And each of these bunkers is like isolated from all the other ones. Oh, it's it's very like Fallout. Like you have a bunch of different like, oh, we were in Bunker 11 and it was one man and 400 ladies. <laughs> or we were in Bunker 27 and it was just full of... 20 people and 50 cougars. <laughs> and not the good kind oh, of cougars. Okay, not not the kind not the cats. you can cuddle with. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> you can't cuddle you with don't a want cougar. To cuddle with a cougar. No. She just wants her business taken care of and then you can go. <laughs> so uh after about 450 years after like as well humanity like Decides that mechanics are the new gods of their world. Right, because it's all, it becomes a very technocratic society because they have all these crazy, like, underground hydroponics and you have to keep the foundations of the bunkers secure. So the people with the power to, you know, keep society functioning are the ones who have the social clout. Yeah. And they become the, the, um, nobility. Yeah, I like that they were like, oh, the old society rebelled against the, like, politicians and the the noblemen of before, and they established that what really mattered was the mechanics, and then they had, like, the Mechanico Vitae, 
as a new thing and they right, the new like in, religion philosophy credo about how life has to be in balance and yeah. harmony or something yeah they're like Some don't be bullshit i don't know don't let's n- not fuck up the world again <laughs> but after about 450 years uh their bunkers are too fucked up to remain in and they merge into a world Full of dinosaurs. Right. So so the premise is that uh, old life forms from Earth's past have had an opportunity to come back. Because that's how that works. No, it's because <laughs> of Japan. Um, All of this is because Japan developed a... <sighs> I can't remember the name, but it's some weird serum... That is, we can fast grow things. Oh yeah, like accelerated evolution or something. Uh, it was it was basically like you could do this thing and it would grow whatever. John, we're making the Cadillac and dinosaur lore experts really unhappy right now. But they, what they tried to do is during the whole like pre and current apocalypse. They made like a trilobite farm for right. food. Because that's obviously the most efficient creature to farm for food of all of Earth's history. Yeah. Trilobites. Not like phytoplankton or something. No. So <laughs> that's that was Japan's big thing was look, we got trilobites. And so And trilobites led within four hundred and fifty years uh, to T Rexes and Stegosaurus. Well, it's not that they evolved, it's that the actual serum thing itself says that it can grow anything Mm. or, like, take things that were already present and make them, like, evolve into whatever, so it'll be like, I turned this chicken into a raptor or some shit. Yeah, this isn't going to make sense. This is just... No, it's the most ridiculous bullshit th- and they don't get into it that's why because yeah. they were just like japan made a thing and it, it it's why stuff anyway there's yeah, dinosaurs i would honestly just feel happier if it had said they came out 450 years later and there were dinosaurs no explanation yeah just go well, with it well i mean you've got 450 years of humanity in a bunker mostly just hard scrabble trying to survive when they get out they're not going to know that this isn't <laughs> the way things should be. Well, I think that's an open question of of how much how, how much knowledge has persisted over the course of the 450 years. And that is a thing that is different for each vault. So, some of the bunkers had uh like the main bunker that you are supposed to play in this game is they came out and established the city in the sea. Which is a lovely name. And they had a good amount of books. Like, they had enough, like, knowledge and mechanical know-how and were able to sort of hold on to some of the, like, old knowledge. All right, spoiler alert. The city in the sea is Manhattan. Spoilers. <laughs> so the sea levels have risen, and so it's just like the top half of the skyscrapers are poking out above yeah. the level of the water. Yeah, so they they were able to have some knowledge, and the other uh, tribe that you get are the Wasoon, 
and they apparently went into the bunker without almost any books. This is in Washington, D.C. Right, because it was all um, it was all the politicians who went into that bunker, so they were useless. Yeah. So most of it is oral tradition, and that entire tribe is like, oh, yeah, we've got a much bigger emphasis on, like, memorization and oral tradition and, you know, lots of speeches. Well, yeah, speaking of speech, <laughs> the idea that in 450 oh, years I know. they would not speak completely different non-mutually intelligible languages is ridiculous yeah no one thousand percent also based i mean not just based on because you'd have divergent terms for things and spending 450 years isolated would make your 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 terminology, your lexicon drift. A no, bit. they're like pronunciation. They would have done a vowel shift in Wasoon and like complete grammatical changes. Oh yeah, people would see each city. other and they'd be like, "Uh, gif." And they'd be like, "I'm a uh, gif, 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 <laughs> gif." Ah, stab. Yeah. Uh, but in addition to that, you'd also have to take into account what population was taken in there. So, did you have? say, a population that had a more Spanish-speaking contribution, which would then influence how the language in that bunker would uh, evolve, as opposed to one that had, say, more of, like, the politicians, or one that was more urban, or one that was more, like, Chinese or whatever, and it would very much change the way things work. Yeah, because if you got a bunker in New York City that was filled with the people in New York City who were mechanics, that's going to be a pretty polyglot group of people. Oh, yeah. And that will make their language real weird. <laughs> and delightful. So delightful. So, yes, but that doesn't come up. Instead, 450 years later, humanity emerges being... Like a 100% Indiana Jones characters? <laughs> yes. Well, at least the ones who survived. Yeah. Everyone who manages to live to the post-apocalypse is... Is a PC, basically. Is a, is a PC. And... Yeah, so they... They now have to deal with all of these dinosaurs and Cadillacs. <gasps> Except they don't have to deal with the Cadillacs because there are like 12 Cadillacs that exist in the world and they are all owned by this guy, Jack Tenrick, who was like the main character of the comics and the cartoon. And so, of course, he's in the setting. I, I feel like... And games take completely different tacks with this where some games really go hard on the canon characters and like that's who they want you to play as. And some games don't even really incorporate the main canon characters at all. And I prefer towards that direction. So they don't want you to play as Jack Tenrick, but he is like a major NPC that's in the game. And no, this this isn't one of those games where it's like, here are the stats for your main characters. This is who we assume you want to be. This isn't like Tenchi Muyo or <laughs> Indiana Jones, where it's like, yeah, you're going to play as these characters. But as well... There's a thing in RPGs that are based on certain IPs where they will take what is given from the setting and do nothing else. <laughs> it is just, oh, what is there? Uh, well, in the comic books, we set the story in like this section of America 
with these characters like, great, that's all we're going to do. Did you want to expand that to anything else? No. Yeah, so one of the one of the things that you get when Claire is on System Mastery rather than Jeff, I do research, motherfuckers. Yeah, that's bullshit. I read the Wikipedia article, okay? Oh my, oh my god. <laughs> and all of the character names from the comic books and the cartoon series were very familiar to me because it's all the NPCs that are mentioned in this book. Yes. This is just an RPG of if you wanted to play in the actual story that is in there. So not so much play as the characters, but just play characters in the exact same area as them, which is honestly probably the worst split the difference that yeah. you can do in an IP. Because if you go, okay, you're going to be these characters and you're in that setting, you're like, okay, I get it. You're You're selling to people who want to just you know, play pretend and do fun fan fiction. And if you go the other way and you're just like, oh, we're setting it in the world of this and here's different things you could do or whatever, then that's fine because you just want to play in the world of whatever the IP is. Yeah, but this is setting us up for some bad Mary Sue. My character, Jack Tenrick is so in love with her and Hannah Dundee is her best friend. Yeah, Hannah Dundee is the main chick in the story. Best friends and not jealous at all, even though she's Jack Tenrick's true love. <laughs> Violet eyes. Yeah, no, this is definitely one of those things where you're like, don't set your game like during the time period of the story or else it'll be like, I'm going to Hogwarts at the same time Harry Potter is, and that means I don't do fucking anything, because Harry <laughs> Potter does it. Unless you want to do the thing where it's like, well, actually, I'm the only reason that Harry Potter actually succeeds mm -hmm. at anything, because you see in the background, <laughs> my character... <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's just real bad, because then you end up just living in the shadow of the main yeah. characters and it's sad it's sad times it's sad's o'clock and no one wants that no i mean presumably someone i mean this isn't a heartbreaker this was like a legitimate game at the time and presumably sold some copies i don't know uh, well again i assume this sold some copies because it said cadillacs and dinosaurs on sure. it and people were like that sounds rad and ooh, <laughs> oh, they, they were disappointed dis i don't know if they disappointed because because it's 1990 exactly, and no one's disappointed in rpgs like separate hit point totals for my body parts yes well we may as well get into the actual mechanics of this do we have to e yeah that is kind of what this is all right okay so <laughs> jesus christ this game uses d6s and d10s yeah you fucking the character creation process in this is weird for how you do things so there's you get some background skills before you make anything right like oh when you were a kid you knew how to sail or farm like it's assumed that you have sort of an npc childhood yeah you grew up at the city in the sea and you get to pick from like seven different skills and you get four of them at two ranks and then you get to actually decide what your attributes are <laughs> and but do you get to decide or do the dice decide either so yeah. either you can take 32 points to distribute between six stats going from one to ten 
in your stat. And generally, you're going to want to look at what career you want first, because the careers in this are oddly restrictive for basically everything. Well, this is some this is some classic 1990, you know, qualify for the class that you want to be in. You must have a minimum of this and a minimum uh, of that in order to be a farmer. Like a seven constitution to be a farmer or something. Oh, yeah. You need a like seven constitution and a five intelligence. Are you strong enough to be a farmer? Are you smart enough to be a farmer? Are you a bad enough dude to farm the president? <laughs> Are you farmers? Da, 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 da. <laughs> So, you can either take 32 points and put them into your stats, as you will, or you can roll 2d6 minus 2 per stat. If you roll a 0, you get to re-roll. If your total stat points are under 30, you add points until you hit 30. (laughs) It's so weird. 2d6 minus 2 is... Why would you not just tell someone to roll a d10? I guess because you want... That's sort of bell curvy. Yeah, because 2d6... You're going to end up with five most often, yes, right? Yes, it means that you will mostly be a five. Right. Is like the... You've got a good bell curve for the four to six range for your average stat, whereas just one d10 would swing wildly to right. the point where you're like, there's there's a much better chance that you would have 10s in things. Right. Unlike the 2d6, where getting a 12 is like a 1 in 36 chance instead of a 1 in 10. So you get your stats like that, and immediately I was struck by And we should probably say the six stats are just normal <laughs> shit. Yeah. It's, strength, dex, con. So you got strength, agility, con... Charisma, intelligence, and then instead of wisdom, you have education. Which was a little strange to me to see that be like a baseline attribute rather than a skill. But It ends up being a baseline attribute in a lot of the 90s RPGs because that was one of those heartbreaker things where they're like, we really need to separate intelligence and book learning Mm. because you could learn how to be a doctor, even if you aren't super smart to begin with. Can you? I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I've met some doctors. <laughs> just very diligent dullards. Yeah, just real dumb idiots that are super dedicated to the craft, and God bless them. God bless them. Bless their heart. <laughs> but, I mean, I look at this and go, okay, unless there is a specific thing you wanted to be or way that you wanted to play. I feel like rolling is probably better as far as the gamble, because usually when you look at point by versus die roll, the die roll is a much larger gamble on what you would be doing. Right, but this has a floor for your die roll possibility. It's basically like if you fuck up you'll be two points below point by. If you do well, you could be several points above point by. Mm -hmm. But because careers exist and all of them have, like there are some where you need like a nine in a stat in order to have it. And I'm like, there's no way you can (laughs) do that unless you point by. It's, (laughs) it, there's also only one career in this that, 
doesn't have any requirements. Which is what? The laborer. Mm. Which is interesting because you could be, like, if I want to be a criminal, I can't just decide to do crime. Yes, you have. Hey, you know what? But if you're a criminal and you don't have those stats, you're a dead criminal. If you want to be a criminal who's still alive and successful, you have to have some minimum capabilities. But what if instead of being, like, a burglar, I want to be... Like there's no white collar crime in the city. On the yeah, scene. I was gonna say, what if I'm fucking the kingpin, huh? What if I'm a a mob boss instead of a low level one? Those are NPCs. Instead of instead of a level one crook, what if I'm a level thirty five boss? That's mafia. Ah, <laughs> uh, so yeah, you get your stats, and regardless of what way you get them, you will now. Uh, find out what you are doing with your experience. And that's going to be your career. And you add 3d6 to 17 to figure out how old you are. Right. This is a game where you're not really supposed to... But it's also irrelevant how old you are. No, none of it matters. But boy, howdy, does this game have a lot of like, let's tell you what your weight is. First, you're going to take your strength and you're going to subtract your agility. Take that number, multiply that by four. Now take that number and add it on to a preset weight, depending on if you are male or female, and that's your weight in kilograms. I was scared when we had the different calculations for male and female weight. I was afraid that we were going to end up having some gender stat differences, but they didn't go there. They just had the weight. That's fine. Yeah, they were just like, look, Sometimes, sometimes lady small, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was it, which is interesting because I'm like, man, if you're going to go so far as to be like, hey, let me give you the weight for things and divide that up. It's weird that they had the restraint to not be like, and now let me tell you what your height is. Right. And now let me tell you like all of these various bits and things like they, they decided to put in. A calculation for your weight and nothing else? Yeah, I mean, I think the idea behind the calculation for the weight is that if you have, if you're really strong, then you should be a big, beefy person. Yeah. And if you're really agile, then maybe you're like a little nimble person. Yeah. Like. But I guess your, your stats wouldn't really have anything to do with your height necessarily. The weird thing to me is that it's strength minus agility, which means. If I'm a nine strength and a nine agility. Well, you're Bruce Lee. You're little. You're super strong and you're super nimble. So you're like compact. You're super strong and super naked. (laughs) Uh, It's very weird to me because it feels like it wants to go like, oh, how beefy are you versus how lean are you? But then it doesn't take into account like, what if I'm super beef and super move? What if I am the rock? (laughs) That's true. The Rock is is chunky. He is. But cut. He is a beef man that can move. (laughs) And boy, can he move. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you're going to figure out what your age is. You'll be somewhere between 20 and 35, I think. Yes. And then uh, you pick a career. The career gives you a whole bunch of 
skill levels. Right. So most of your character is just based on your career. And it'll be like, you know, there's like 10 or 12 abilities that you already have a set number of ranks in. And then you get maybe four to six ranks to spend as you wish. Yeah. So depending on what you pick as your actual career, you'll have a little more leeway for what you get. Usually, if your career is much more focused in one thing, they'll give you more bonus points to spend on skills for other stuff. So, like, Doctor has a requirement of an education of nine or or more, but if you have it, you don't get a ton of determined skills. They're just like, oh, yeah, we'll give you, you know, medical skill at, like, level six and then a few other things. But then you get eight bonus skills, which is more than most people get. Right. Or you might be something that's like, I'm a criminal and it only gives you four. But you have quite a smorgasbord assigned to you as being a criminal. Though that's not super great because the mechanics of resolution in this is roll a d10 and hit or roll under whatever your skill is. So Right, if, and, and your attributes don't actually factor into that, do no. they? Which is weird. So your attributes, instead of affecting your roll at all or the skill level you have, it essentially acts as a soft cap for skills. So if... A skill like, say, medicine is based on the education stat, and my education is five. I could have five skill ranks in medicine, no problem, but then if I want to raise it up, instead of going up by one when I put a point into that, it goes up by one half because... Now I have to work harder than my stats would normally allow me. Right. You could have an education of five and a medicine of seven, but it's going to take you a lot longer to get there because you're like spending these like half ranks. Yeah. So I, you know, you could spend four of your bonus ranks in upping it to that level, but you'd only get the two actual ranks in it. So it does have some impact and there the book does mention that sometimes there will be a role that is just a stat role right. rather than a skill role so you do occasionally have to do that but for the most part it like once you've finished making your character it basically doesn't matter anymore like it just doesn't have a bearing on it because experience wise i don't you I, can't change him yeah, there's there's nothing you can do with that. And it, even then, the spending experience to get more points in a skill, I'm trying to remember if it actually costs more if it's going to go above your stat. I think it might, but mm. most of the time you just pay however many XP your level would go to. So if it was going to go to five, you'd pay five XP. Right. But Which is pretty normal. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> your career gives you a smattering of skills, which, like I said, for the most part, if you're looking at one that's sort of not focused on any given thing, like most of the good ones will give you a six 
in something if they're fairly focused in it. Doctor gives you a medical of eight. Uh, or like the engineer gives you engineer of eight. So you have ones that are very focused in something. But, and I appreciate this because as a starting character, you are good at something. This is not a given in games in 1990. This is not a ga- given in games in 2000. Yeah. But you could be something like the Explorer Diplomat, where the highest level skill it gives you is three. Ooh. Which means you've got to kind of take your few bonus skill levels and decide what you want to do. Because if you're trying to roll under a three for your skill all the time, yeah. you're not doing much. No. So, in addition to that, your career also gives you some stuff. You get <laughs> some contacts. Every career has a contact list. So, it'll be like, ooh, you know, like, if you're an engineer, you know another engineer. And maybe you know a manager of some kind. And- One thing that I liked was that on the list of contacts, it'll often tell you that you have a contact, but they're hostile towards you. Like you sort of like have a rival. Yeah, like someone just doesn't like you. And and that's good for character building and for flushing out your background of your world and plot hooks and everything. Now, you just sort of leave them at like, I know, a politician. And then when you need to have a contact, you'd be like, okay, I know a dude here. They are an engineer. And then the GM gets to go. All right, you know Bill Frandick, and he's dude. He's here. He's your friend. <laughs> like, great. And then once that happens, then you erase. Like, I know an engineer, and you put down Bill Frandick, <laughs> and <laughs> you lose that generic contact and gain a specific one. And and it also gives you some equipment. A pistol. There's okay. So I'm I want to know where it is on here. So during the uh the game has a like we're making a character thing, obviously, how it goes through like and then Jill decides to put four points into whatever, so you can actually see how you make a character. Now, I don't know where it is, but one of them was like, oh yeah, you have a car of your choice. There it is. If you are an old blood mechanic, oh, which yeah. means you You're are... In the aristocracy. Yeah, you are descended of one of the mechanics of a bunker. You get... A 1D6 cars and or trucks <laughs> or one small motorboat. I mean, the motorboat's pretty useful if you're playing the city in the sea. However, the cost of any given car or truck is twice that of a small motorboat, which means... Yeah. You pick 1D6 cars and maybe sell one and get some motor boats. <laughs> it's a very dumb choice, but also it's the only one that comes with something like that. Everyone else is like, I come with a rifle and a dog. I have a <laughs> pistol and my hand on my dick. 
Like, <laughs> nobody else comes with anything remotely that good. But the old blood mechanic is like, oh, no, I start out as essentially a millionaire. Yeah. It's very weird to me. Well, it's also weird. And it, this is built into the setting that there's supposed to be this kind of class tension with the old blood mechanics and how their power is kind of waning because they aren't needed anymore to maintain the bunkers. And there's like kind of some egalitarianism versus hierarchical stuff going on in the setting. So there's some interesting plot hooks in there if you want to play like an actual intrigue game. Well, I think a lot of it uh, actually comes down to the old blood mechanics want to maintain the whole have balance with society yes, and let's whatnot. let's have balance in society and nature, except that I have seven Jeeps <laughs> and you have a horse. Hey, it's balance with nature, not balance with Among other people. people. Yes. <laughs> and also, I just love the idea that they're like, finally, we're here. We fucked up the earth so bad eh, because of all of our horrible emissions. I'm going to have 12 cars. They run on dinosaur guano. Is that not said at some I point? Know. That all the cars. It's a renewable resource, John. <sighs> it's biofuel. I know. There are dinosaur it's guano so, subsidies. It's so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> but in addition to that, the other thing is the intrigue is mostly people who are like, I want to be super capitalism and I want to like strip mine shit and go fucking poach dinosaurs. Yeah, let me tell you the extent of my research. I watched an episode of the Saturday morning Ooh, cartoon. An episode. And the first episode. And the first episode is all about one of the governors of the city in the sea who's trying to get rid of the machinatio vitae, the philosophy of balance with nature, so they can tear down all the trees and strip mine and like literal blah ha ha ha. Oh yeah. No, one hundred percent. That is like <sighs> It's a very 1990 Captain Planet type. Yeah. The animation style, too. Was, I was getting some yeah, it's, Captain Planet vibes. It's some serious 1990s cartoon stuff. Remember when we thought we could teach kids to care about the environment with cartoons? <laughs> Remember when we thought we could teach kids? Yeah. <laughs> now, I think I didn't watch this show because it was out in like... When I was in middle school and I think I was too cool for cartoons by then. And I feel sad because I feel like I might have enjoyed this. I'm trying to, I would have been, I mean, when did the cartoon come like out? Like 93, 94. Okay. I think I was just, like, I was too cool for cartoons at that point. I I'm was never like, too cool for I'm cartoons. I'm going to read grown-up magazines and be grown-up. I was like, yo, what up with Power Rangers, my dude? <laughs> yo, what is this, a Pikachu? I love that shit. No, I think I started watching, like, Sailor Moon and DBZ in high school. So there was, like, this middle school period where I decided I was too cool for cartoons. But and then by high school, they were back. Grown ups. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, no. I was, I was always <laughs> like, no, cartoons are great. Don't you, don't you see? These are cartoons. Have you, have you not seen the X Men? This shit is lit. <laughs> I said. As thirteen year old, yes. way above and my years, and everyone said, you're, it's, "It's on what? fire." What? I'm sorry, what? And I was like, "Fam, get on my level." <laughs> this will all make sense in about twenty years. Look, just get on Twitter, and it'll all make sense. <laughs> I'm just, I just need you to know, Sluggo is lit. John, I want you to know that you have listeners who were thirteen when Twitter was out. I know. <laughs> I know. 
I I have listeners right now that are like, I can't remember a time without Twitter. Oh God! And I to them I say, "Fuck you." Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, I'm old. Yes, I'm old. Uh, so yeah, the. Then you have a bunch of derived stats as oh, a well. A bunch of derived stats, yes. Uh, so you find out what your hit points are yes, by let's location. Talk about the hit points. This was the point at which I knew that this game was not for me. <laughs> and it's again, this is to me a very '90s thing that you have separate hit point totals for your various body parts. Yeah, your head has a certain, and the calculations are things like your head has strength plus constitution times three hit points and your chest has strength plus constitution times four and your abdomen has strength plus constitution times two and then your left leg and your right leg. Oh my God. Yeah, there's three different calculations, one for head, one for chest, and one for etc. And the fact that, that chest and abdomen count as two separate areas still gets me they should though because stabbing someone in the gut is very different from stabbing someone in the chest i support that decision if you're gonna have separate hit point totals for separate body parts go all the way and have chest and abdomen be separate yeah well i mean i was gonna start being more exaggerated in it but there really are games that are like left hand right hand yeah forearm yeah no maybe this game author thought they were introducing novel levels of abstraction and this is much better i don't know oh god so you have your head your chest and then like right arm left arm right leg left leg father abraham had many (laughs) sons i can't say that shit without going immediately into that christianity has ruined me in so many ways in so many ways so you have all of those, and those all have different calculations. And then you have the calculation for how far you can throw a thing. Right. Which is, I think, just strength times four? Sure. You have the calculation for what your accuracy is with any given ranged weapon, depending on the range. Right. So you have completely different accuracy levels. There's like... Close range, near range, there's, far range, super far range. There's, there's like four or five levels. Close, where you double it. There's medium range, where it's just baseline whatever your score is. There's long range, where it's half your score. And extreme range, which has nacho cheese flavor. Mm. <laughs> and then there is... God help me. The worst idea in this game. I think this was when by John far. Threw, threw the book on the wall. Had it? It was actually his phone because it's on a PDF. But he just smashed it through my computer against the wall. This has a stat called initiative. Now, when I first saw that, I was like, "Oh, okay. It's it's your bonus to yeah. the initiative roll sure. at the start of combat." No, it is not. What it is, is action advantage. Now, anyone who has listened to our show, whenever we get to any game that has action advantage, you you know that we harp on how ridiculously stupid this is, and how if you provide someone with the means of 
doing more things versus doing one thing slightly better, it's always going to be better to do more things. Yes. I mean, first of all, from a mechanical perspective, and also I think just as a player, the experience of doing more is satisfying. Well, yeah, if if you're like, as a player, I can swing once and I'll probably hit and it'll be cool. Or if you're like, yeah, or I can swing three times in a round or swing twice and do a cool thing or... Run I'm, over here and then steal something out of your pocket and then swing at you. Like, no, I'm a player. I'm here to do things. I want to do more things. Yeah. I get to do more stuff. The more time the spotlight is on me, the more I'm winning at game. <laughs> so this has initiative, and it is a score between one and six. Mm-hmm. And when you make your character, you have an initiative that is determined by rolling 2d6 and dividing it by 2. And, and rounding it, down? And this is another thing no, that made me insane about this game. It rounds... That... So the game wants you to round to the nearest whole number, and in a case where it would be a 0.5, it says, look at the rules text. It does not have a round up or round down baseline, for initiative, it is round up. Yeah, so there are some circumstances where it wants you to round up and some circumstances where it wants you to round down. That shit makes me crazy. Pick one, make it standard for every application <laughs> of the game. Also, the number of times you should be rounding should be very small in a game because you should not be dividing in the course of play very often. But, oh boy. Obviously, you've not played real RPGs, you fake RPG girl. I'm a girl and I don't like math. Pink! <laughs> so you get your number between one and six. And... In a combat round, there are six uh, phases or something. something. I don't know. But there's like six phases in a combat round. Basically ticks. Initiative ticks. And whatever your initiative number is, you act on that number in the round and everything after it. So if I have a six... I go six times in a round. If I have a one, I go one time in a round and also at the very end of the round. Now, the... And you have no control over this stat except in your selection of class because some of the classes have a bonus to initiative. So those immediately are win classes. Oh, yeah. There are, like, guard, criminal, explorer, diplomat, old blood mechanic for some goddamn reason. Because it's, you know, they're the aristocracy. They well, because they're, they're the around. best. Everything's they get coming up old a, blood mechanic. A D6 cars and plus one initiative. Mm-hmm. Fuck it. But you can never get above six. But what it means is if you fuck up your initiative roll, you're real fucked. Forever. <laughs> I mean, you can spend XP to up your initiative, but it's expensive. And while you're doing that, the person who randomly rolled better than you is like, yeah, but I just get better in my skills so that by the time you get to my level of action advantage, I'm now also just better than you. So... You know, don't don't put that in a game. Don't put that in a game. Don't put action advantage in a game. And for the love of God, if you do, don't make it some random bullshit. Because at least if it's 
oh, anyone can invest in this. You're like, okay, well, everyone does. But yeah. now everyone's invested in it, so we're back down to a baseline level of competency. Whereas this is just like, oh, were you playing this game and you rolled a fucking three on your 2d6? Well, why don't you go fuck yourself? Fucking <laughs> <sighs> like initiative. Anyway. Anyway. Also, it's worth noting that so many of the rules in this are just hidden in weird little areas. Yes. No, the the so a good thing about this book, not a given in the books that are reviewed on this show, is that it is intelligible. The sentences are like correct. They flow into <laughs> each other nicely. It is not painful to read the paragraphs, but it is not well organized. No. The plus 1 to your initiative for the various classes is not under the classes? Yeah, you would think it would be like, oh, you get the following skills for this class, and you get the following gear, and also you get a plus one initiative. No, it's like buried three pages later in some It's little... under the initiative rules, which is three sentences in the middle of a page. It says, like, initiative, roll 2d6, divide by two, you can't get more than six ever. Also, these classes get a plus one. And you're like, oh, whoa, hold on. Why are you putting that here instead of in the career things? It's so weird. It's dumb and bad. (sighs) We didn't talk yet about the other super dumb and bad math calculation. (sighs) Well, there's my favorite dumb and bad math calculation, which is... So this has, of course, because this game is really way more concerned with verisimilitude than it is rad dudes in Cadillacs running around dealing with dinosaurs. Yeah. So There's some excessive simulationism going on here. Well, there's like, an adult male will eat two kilograms of food every day, which means that for every day of travel you have, a foraging roll must be done in order to gain two kilograms of food. If one does not gain two kilograms of food then you will begin to get the following penalties in the following order. And you're like, uh, okay. For a horse, every four hours you must stop and rest them and feed them grains and pet them and tell them they are good. When got into the horse rules, I was like, what? Uh, there's, yeah. It's just like, if you force a horse into a march, then every four hours you must roll a d10. On a 10, you must roll again. And if they've been forced to march too many times, then you, if you roll another 10, then they have gone lame. But you can fix them being lame by letting them stay in a camp and massaging their leg and giving them a pedicure, telling, telling them they're so good and giving them a sugar cube. And it's just rule after rule of if you wander around in the wilderness, everything sucks. It's very... Which, I mean, yes, everything sucks when you wander around the wilderness. I get that. But I don't want to play Wilderness Foraging the game. I was promised Cadillacs and motherfucking dinosaurs. Yeah, that's the issue here is the main, like, idea of this game is so at odds with what this game gives you. Yeah. It very much feels like someone had already created a game engine that's like, oh, well, I just made a generic in the world. This is how you live. And 
the this is the amount of equipment you can have and if you have a backpack then it changes the amount of stuff you can carry by this equation and whatnot it's like oh i've already created an entire physics simulator of my world and they're like hey do you want an ip and he's like sure whatever slap it on there <laughs> it won't matter everyone will love my cool physics engine for an rpg so yeah, speaking of physics engine, the one of the other points at which I realized this game was not a thing that I was ever going to be pleased with was, uh, is it some kind of demolitions calculation or throwing a grenade yeah. or something? So... First of all, there's a lot of parentheses in a lot of these calculations, which I object yeah. to strongly. I mean, when you gotta really refer to PEMDAS in order to figure out what the fuck is going on with your calculations, it feels bad, man. And in addition to that, like, of course, there's going to be a shitload of things for, like, fire does this much damage and, you know, drowning does whatever. So it has two different categories for explosions. Right? Oh, my God, I forgot. <laughs> so there's explosions of I want to explode a dude. And that's like I throw a grenade. And he, the author makes it very clear. Very clear. That what's actually damaging you is the concussive force of the explosion. So I'm going to call this damage concussion points. And so you figure out how many concussion points you take depending on where you are in the radii of yeah, the explosion. Yeah, also literally like the body parts that were closest to the origin of the explosion take this much damage and then your other body parts take this much damage. Yeah, the calculations are... Excessive, but, you know, you decided to make a game where you have multiple hit locations and an explosion, you've got to then go, okay, well, do they hit all the hit locations? Does it hit some of the hit locations? What do I do with this? However, the thing right after that is using explosions not for hurt people, but for hurt structure. Mm. And then it was like, okay... Now, instead, we determine demolition points. So now we're, we're really worried about DP right now. I mean, I'm perpetually worried about that. Just like it's always an anxiety yeah, in the back of my mind. Yeah, it's just constantly like... <laughs> so, <laughs> demolition points, it has, of course, its own entire like full-page thing where it's going on about... like structural capacity of things and the amount of damage one needs to do in order to do like certain like demolition effects if you just want to weaken something or take a building down or destroy a wall or whatever and then it goes okay but you may be asking and of course no one was asking <laughs> what happens if i'm near a demolition blast that goes off and i take damage from it because You've calculated demolition points and concussion points differently for the same type of explosion. Mm -hmm. Then it gives you a conversion calculation where you have to find the square root of the demolition points divided by four, get the square root, multiply that by two and then take that and do something. And it was like, and after this simple calculation, you'll arrive at the damage points of this. And I was like, 
Now, you motherfucker. You put the square root yeah. symbol no, into your game. If there's any aspiring game developers listening to this, if you're trying to write your tabletop RPG game and you find yourself opening latex, stop. <laughs> stop. We don't need any of the characters that are not on the numpad. You can use an asterisk. You can use a slash. You can use a plus and a minus. If you need a parenthesis occasionally, I might allow it. But when you're reaching for that square root sign, you need help. Your friends need to schedule an intervention. Someone needs to slap your hand away and be like, no, that's a bad designer. Bad. Ugh. Good Lord. (laughs) So, yeah. I don't want to have to use a calculator to play my tabletop RPG. I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to do anything (laughs) with this game. Uh, Combat. Oh, God, I forgot that there's a calculation for how much melee damage you do. Of course. Which is based on strength and a melee skill, which means that if I... Because it's strength times skill ranks of melee divided by 10, and that's how much damage you do with an unarmed attack. That's how good your punching is. Always base one, which means if I don't have any skill ranks in melee or one skill rank in melee, then a strength one person hits as hard as a strength ten person, which is aces. I love that. (laughs) And uh, the actual damage for things, again, one of those, hey man, maybe figure out how to put things in a place where it makes sense. When you're getting your equipment in this, like right after careers, this is an entire thing of equipment. And it shows like, oh, you could have a dagger or a club or whatever. And it doesn't include what damage it does. Right. It's like way at the back of the book. But then for the guns, it is listed right at the gun what the damage is. Yeah. And guns have a rate of fire, have a rate of fire (laughs) that is like. This has a rate of fire of dar. Yeah, the, there's, it's not a number. It doesn't say the rate of fire is two. It says the rate of fire is D-A-R. And I'm just staring at it like, what? And this is not a control effable PDF. So I'm like scrolling, scrolling. Would you explain what dar is, John? Dar is double action revolver, which is a revolver where the hammer gets cocked through the force of shooting the gun. So Very you don't have convenient. to re-cock it. Hmm. As opposed to a single-action revolver. Parentheses. There are no single-action revolvers in this game. (laughs) (sighs) This guy's just educating you about firearms. This guy just wants you to know about revolvers. Thanks, my dude. (sighs) So, there's (laughs) bolt-action rifle. So, there's dar. There's bar for a rate of fire. But there's also... Like, there's two different rifle things that are, like, there's bolt-action rifle and something, like, line-action rifle or something, that are exactly the same, but it's, again, one of those things where he's like, I just needed you to know that I know the difference between types of rifles. I did a lot of research to make this game as realistic as possible. Which is why guns have recoil. (laughs) I love that. And I love that so much that when you're firing your gun, you have to calculate the recoil in order to figure out if you can keep shooting. Oh, you can keep shooting. You just won't hit anything. Right. So, and you know, having been to a range, accurate, 
But who but cares? But I don't care. I want to fire my gun at dinosaurs a lot of times. Yeah, so it'll be something like, oh, I have a gun and I can shoot it three times per action. Except, no, I can't because it's got a recoil of five, which means I need to have a strength of five in order to use it. Except you add that every time you shoot. So if I shoot twice, I need to have a strength of 10. And if I don't, then I'm going to take that number. I'm going to take my strength. I'm going to subtract that from the number that I have. Now, what's left over is a penalty to my shooting. No, yeah. Now, there are remainders more than one time. There is some modulo calculations happening in this game. Again, (sighs) these are not operations that I want to see in a tabletop RPG. Good Lord. It's just there's so much fucking bullshit in this game about Cadillacs and dinosaurs. Like, it hurts my soul to see a game called Cadillacs and Dinosaurs be this boringly bullshit. Yeah. It's uh, like, I haven't been this sad since we read Bronchosaurus Rex. And Which it was ended a betrayal up... <laughs> of a very different kind. Yeah, well, because at that point it just ended up becoming like confederacy apologia so you know different type of sadness but still yeah i don't really have objections to the setting here aside from the apocalypse is dumb but it usually is in post i mean i don't i don't care someone's just like an apocalypse happened i honestly feel like most things you just go look an apocalypse happened anyway no one knows what it was because fucking humanity spent the last 450 years in a bunker no one knows or cares yeah, but, uh, I mean, there are lots of interesting potential plot hooks. Nothing's egregiously offensive. There's a little, like, oh, these people modeled their society after the American Indian. I'm like, no, they didn't. It was 450 years ago. They didn't model it after anything. They didn't Stop model that. it after anything. What they did was get out of a bunker and go, oh, fuck. Yeah. Also, <laughs> stop making American Indian some kind of synonym for in touch with the harmony of nature. Stop, yeah. stop that. Yeah. Yeah. But that was the only thing that was a little a little dodgy. Aside from the fact that in so the text of the game says we're going to use the male pronoun, but that shouldn't be taken to mean that women can't be an important part of the game. I'm like, all right, fine, whatever. You made you made your pronoun choice, I get it. But then in all of the artwork throughout the book, which are kind of comic book style, they may even be taken from the original comic books. I didn't do that much research, sorry. I did. There are <laughs> Two images that are taken from the comic book. Everything else was their artist. So the main female character who's depicted in these, her name is Hannah Dundee, and she's the ambassador from the Wasoons to the city in the sea. And she's supposed to be some cool diplomat who's like kind of also a badass. But in every single panel, she is either getting her ass kicked or getting mansplained to. Every single one. She is never competent in any of these comic book panels. Well, no. Every panel is like, you are threatened. And she's like, ah. Uh, yeah, there was one where it was four panels of her going, ah, uh, uh, <laughs> just again and again. Yeah. Or it's Jack Tenrek going like, you see, here in the city in the sea, we like to do things a certain way. She's like, oh, really? That's so interesting. You're so muscly. <laughs> so I think one of the things that, was weird and amusing to me was there's like a very large subplot of this of poaching is bad 
And specifically, they're like, oh, people are poaching dinosaurs. Right. You're not supposed to kill the dinosaurs? Which seems real weird. Like, Which, by the way, we haven't even touched on the fact that dinosaurs, the nickname for dinosaurs in this game is Slither. Yeah, none of them I are snakey. Which I don't snaky. understand because they're not snakes. Because they don't. <laughs> slither. You see, Slither is a word that means something. Yeah, I guess 450 years from <laughs> yeah, now, in 450 years, that. Slither just means scaled. And there's all kinds of other cute nicknames, like a Triceratops is a Mac for some reason. Because it's like miggity, a Mac truck. Mac? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Dinosaurs. But the the poaching thing still weirds me out because I'm like, but they're like it's a T Rex. If I go kill a T Rex and sell its penis on the black market as an aphrodisiac, who gives a fuck? Well, you see, a T Rex is an apex predator and is very integral to the balance of the food web. So you don't want to overhunt the T-Rexes, I guess. It's Ex all like the Machinatio Vitae. Except I would feel like if you were in, say, the bunker that was the City in the Sea one, and you're like, oh, but we had a shitload of books. And even then, they found, like, the New York Public Library at one point, and they have a shitload of books now as well from that. Right. You'd go, oh, hey, these aren't supposed to be here. <laughs> Turns out, these were extinct for a real long goddamn time. And at that point, you'd be like, okay, then who gives a shit if we But they're them? here now, John. Who cares what's supposed to be? Let's just deal with the now. Practice mindfulness. Accept radical acceptance of the world as it is. I do. I accept the world as it is. And then I shoot it and sell it on the black Delicious market. Delicious T-Rex meat. Give me that T-Rex penis. Crush that shit up and snort it. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> uh, is there anything else you wanted to talk about? I don't. Not really, no. Yeah, I mean, it's got a list of NPCs that are all just people from the comics and show, and it's got a whole list of dinosaurs, and there's not really a good middle ground between laughably easy to kill and will destroy everything you love forever. Right. Because the health boxes are either like, this is 8 HP, or this has 75. Fuck you. <laughs> the bear had like 40 or something. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, my God. So, yeah. Uh, I guess I will go ahead and do our standard thing, or I'll, I'll ask you what was the best thing in this RPG. Hmm... The best thing in this RPG... Okay, actually, we didn't talk about this all, but the best thing in this RPG is the DM section at the beginning. Okay. It calls the DM the referee. And it actually has legitimately useful advice about running a game. Down to little things that other games don't really touch on, where there's a paragraph where it's saying, you know, as the referee, it's going to be your job to present the scene to the players. And you're going to describe to them, you're in a room that's this size, and these people are here, and you want to give them sensory details. And there's this little point where it says, be cognizant of the order in which you present information to your players. Because as soon as you tell them that something in the room is threatening to them, that's all they're going to pay attention to. So tell them first about the furniture and the sounds they can hear of birds outside. And only then tell them that there's a guy with a knife. Because if you tell them about the guy with a knife first and then you try to give them sensory information, they're not going to pay attention to any of that. I thought that was insightful. Like I felt like the referee advice was like, 
worth reading for anyone running a game. It's sure. just cool. Great. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> also, the art is good. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> so, for me, I would say the best thing in this... Uh, man, that's difficult. Uh... I mean, I like, I'm going to go ahead and say the setting is fine. Yeah. Like, the shit that the people who wrote this book didn't come up with is fine. That's the best thing in this book, is the IP. <laughs> Which is not the case for many IP-based it's games. It's true. So, you know, the idea of like, ooh, you're a weird, hard-scrabble person in a post-apocalypse with dinos, and you've got, like, some high-tech stuff and low-tech stuff and you're dealing with some weird nonsense like that's that's pretty interesting so i'll go ahead and say that well john what's your least favorite thing about this game so <laughs> i'm gonna pick i've already harped on a lot of dumb things in this i'm gonna pick one thing that is sort of emblematic of what i hate about this game mm -hmm. And that is in the equipment section under Cadillac. <laughs> so there is, under equipment, for vehicles, only two cars that exist. Yeah, there's a cargo truck and a Cadillac. There's nothing in between. No Honda Civic survived the apocalypse. Nope. It's just Cadillacs no, no or cargo trucks. <laughs> now, it has the full stats for the Cadillac. And then it has a little description where it says... There are about a dozen or so of these. All of them are owned by Jack Tenrick. You probably don't have one. And I'm like, you motherfucker. <laughs> you sold me a fake bill of goods. <laughs> you lies. told me. My life is based on lies. Cadillacs and dinosaurs. And the first thing under the Cadillac entry is you can't have a Cadillac. Go fuck yourself. And I'm like, web of lies. Which I'm fine with because I kind of want a Jeep in this setting. I don't really want a Cadillac. No, I want a Cadillac. I mean, yes, I want a Cadillac. I want to be a rad on, like, greaser. A chassis. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be a dude in a convertible driving around with a pompadour. A cool 50s pinup chick in a crop top. and you goddamn. I want to be rockabilly as fuck and I want to shoot some dinosaurs and sell their penis on the black market. That's yeah. all I want. What was your least favorite thing in the game? I feel that I need to establish my bona fides as someone who did relatively recently get an A in multivariable calculus. <laughs> I'm not cool with the math in this game because this is not arithmetic is not fun. It's not fun to sit here and have to do bizarre this plus this times this divided by this square root of this in order just to figure out whether or not I hit the fucking dinosaur. Yeah. No. Anytime excessive math shows up, I always end up thinking, this is bad, should be simplified, and if you can't, then don't do it. No. Like, come up with a different way of going about things. I couldn't because figure out if the, the whole square root thing, is that supposed to be verisimilitudes? I don't know. Because of blast radii and the inverse square rule? Like I, uh... I literally could not care less <laughs> and finally claire would you play this game sweet jesus no 
Um, no, this is going to kind of go in a, a riftsy category for me where the setting amuses me and I would probably play something in this setting, but I would not touch the system with a 10 foot pole. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and agree with you yeah. on that one. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for a little house cleaning and a little Shilling? extra, a little, a little, a little monetary shilling. <laughs> One, I would like to go ahead and say if you don't follow us on social media or aren't in our Discord, and this is the first you are hearing of Jeff being in the hospital, it is no good. He had to basically choose between getting his daughter insurance or having insurance himself, and he chose wrong. So, I mean, yeah, yeah. So he has a GoFundMe up. Uh, you can either check out our Twitter uh, and find it there. Or... I feel that we should allay some blood pressure, perhaps, in our anxious listeners. He's not in mortal peril at the moment. He's out of the ICU, but he was, I mean, he was in the ICU for like three days. Yeah, and I don't want to like go into the whole medical history here, but he's like said some stuff on Discord and Twitter that I will relay at least to people who aren't following that. He went into the urgent care center feeling under the weather and they took his blood pressure and they said, are you on cocaine right now? Because his blood pressure was the kind of blood pressure that you only see in people who are on cocaine. Yeah. 257 over 170 or something obscene like that. Like I had to Google that and Google was like, that's not a thing. Yeah. They were like, I'm sorry. You obviously got numbers wrong here. Yeah. First, you need to divide by 10 and then <laughs> take the square root. Have you subtracted the agility from this person's strength? Well, Jeff's agility is real low, so yeah. that's not really a factor. That's fine. His strength is real low, too. Yeah. So he is in the hospital. He has medical bills that are not good. So we've got to go fund me up for him. If you can... Uh, go ahead, you know, pitch a dollar his way, anything like that. We want to make sure that he can get back to the show as soon as possible, be in good health, make sure he can actually take care of his tiny baby daughter, you know. And take care of you, the listener. That's right. You, the listener. Because he can't record the podcast if he's a boy in the bubble. Yeah. So, uh, let's, let's try and help out Jeff, if at all possible. Now, in addition to that, we have some Jumbotron announcements. Now, uh, for anyone who wants to, you can go onto our website, systemmasterypodcast.com. We've got a link there that says, give us some money. And if you go there, you can click on Jumbotron, pay us 50 bucks, and we will shill for you. So, from Ben Evans... Beyond the veil that lies between worlds are beings of unimaginable power. Some are creatures of blazing beauty and transcendent revelation. Others are stains upon the fabric of reality itself, unspeakable entities before whom eons are instance and whose dark designs span the universe. Beings from Beyond is your guide to these entities, known to mortals as angels, demons, and devils. Part bestiary, part setting guide, and part adventure generator, the full book will be at least 135 pages long in a starkly beautiful black and white style. Within its pages are scores of random tables for generating everything from demonic cults to extra-dimensional paradises. 
reimagined mechanics ranging from summoning to madness, and plenty of evocative lore to help you involve these awe-inspiring creatures in your tabletop role-playing adventures. Statistics are included for 5th edition D&D, but the book is compatible with any fantasy role-playing system. If wonders and horrors from other dimensions interest you, please check out Beings from Beyond's Kickstarter page. The more support received, the more stretch goals are unlocked, such as a recent stretch goal for systems to generate and run adventures inside city-sized demonic behemoths. So yeah, go to Kickstarter, look up Beings from Beyond. You can find that and support that if you are looking for anything cool such as that. That sounds lit. It's so lit. Also, he wanted us to either go over anything we liked about the Kickstarter page or do a donkey talk bit. Oh, okay. But you only pay for us to shill a little bit. I ain't doing a bit. You you paid for me to shill for your Kickstarter. That's right. There's no. You don't get Donkey Talk for free. <laughs> Nobody gets the Donkey, donkey talk. talk. Muse decides when it makes an appearance. We can't force the Donkey Talk. Donkey Talk descends from on high to bless us with its presence when it so chooses. Also, I feel it would be sacrilegious for me to attempt to scale Mount Donkey Talk in Jeff's absence. I know. To do a donkey talk without Jeff would just be, it would be rude. I'm I'm ritually unclean in the face of the donkey talk. I can't do it. Yeah, you're on, what are you, on your donkey period? <laughs> Shh. <laughs> we have one more as well. Do you like RPGs? Do you like Pokemon? Hi, I'm John. No, not that John. Although technically, yes, that John. I'm one of the co-creators of Magi Monsters, the monster-catching RPG. Sure, you could play one of those free, fan-created, endlessly-researched Pokemon-style RPGs that you can find online with a quick Google search. And sure, they have stats for Pikachu and Charizard, but who has the time for all their calculus-style math? Which, given the, not me. the game that we have just reviewed, Jesus Christ, no. We know that your brain isn't a supercomputer like a Nintendo DS, so we've made the math in Magi Monsters easy for combat attacks and damage. There's a simplified ten monster types like Earth, Wind, and Fire. It's truly something to remember. Uh, uh, You get it? You get it? We also try to reduce bookkeeping for gaming sessions. You won't need a huge binder to keep track of all your monsters, maybe just a small one. We wanted to maintain lots of customization for both your monsters and you as the player. Yet, you don't get a player class in a standard handheld Pokemon game, do you? And I'm not talking about classes like Youngster and Fisherman. These are real fantasy classes like Knights and Rangers and Concordance. What the hell is a concordant? Well, buy the book to find out. Plus, we've got our own unique fantasy setting. You should just buy the book for that alone. We successfully funded ourselves on Kickstarter a few years ago, few years ago, and our core rule book is currently a gold level seller on DriveThruRPG.com. I'm asking you today if you'd like to try our game and help us get a net zero loss of profit for our RPG. <laughs> a noble goal. That's right. <laughs> We're just a few tens of sales away from finally breaking even on our RPG, and you can help us get there. You might ask, how is a best-selling, successfully kickstarted, amazing RPG like Magic Monsters not paid for itself 20 times over by now? I can answer that in one simple phrase. Poor financial planning. <laughs> 
Like many startup gaming companies, we've fallen into some of the common pitfalls of running a game company, such as paying our artists in real money rather than the industry standard paying starving college kids with exposure, and advertising in places that will likely not recoup the money it took to advertise there, like podcasts who mainly talk about bad RPGs. <gasps> oh. But we're so close to finally turning a profit, and you can help us get there. Also, feel free to judge us by our cover. We got a really good artist, and she did a great job. The inside is also jam-packed with lots of art we probably could not have afforded in the long run, but it's over 300 pages, has over 100 monsters, and it even includes legendary monsters and rules for how to stat your own monstrous creations. And if you like the core book, there's supplemental materials as well. Some as cheap as pay what you want. That's Magi Monsters, M-A-J-I, Monsters, the monster-catching RPG on DriveThruRPG.com. And of course, if you're going to go to DriveThruRPG.com anyway, go to SystemMasteryPodcast.com and click on our link there. We get a little kickback from it. So you can help them, you can help us, everyone gets helped. We it's all a take win, a little win. a little dip into the pool, if you will. Everyone's getting mm, that taste. Mm, mm, yeah, mm, yeah, give me that taste. <laughs> what? Don't look at me like that. I'm not looking at you like that. <laughs> so... Thank you so much for joining us. We are going to do some bonus content right now. If you are subscribed to the Patreon at even the $1 level. Even $1. You get access to our bonus content. We are going to make characters in Cadillacs and dinosaurs, and we will tell you all about them during that. If you that. would like to know how many hit points my left leg has, who oh boy. You're going to find out. a dollar. <laughs> find out. And, of course, you can... Pledge at other levels. At two, you open up the Expounded Universe bonus content. And at five, our sweet, hot, afterthought monthly content. They just make out. They just record them oh, making yeah. out with each other. We don't say anything either. No. We're just way too into it. And you need to really subscribe to the Patreon in order to make sure that Jeff has enough money to feel well enough to make out with me. Jeff, are you going to... <laughs> I just almost called you Jeff. Um, John, no, you, are you did gonna, call me Jeff. I did call you Jeff. It's like he's with us. It's, it's like he's looking down shoulders. on us. Are you going to edit some sad music in every time we talk about Jeff almost dying? No. Like some violins? No. That would require work. Oh, and I don't okay. think you understand what we do here at System Mastery. <laughs> what you don't do here at System Mastery. <laughs> Uh, so thank you all for tuning in. Thank you to those who bought our Jumbotron spots. And thank you to everyone who supports us and anyone going out who wants to support Jeff on their GoFundMe. Uh, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, every place. We are System Mastery everywhere. System Mastery at Gmail. So get at us. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back in another two weeks with more System Mastery. And until then, you Hopefully have a good with one. Jeff too.